The stories featured in Greeking Out are usually original adaptations of classic Greek myths. But this week, we're changing it up. This week's story features something new and exciting. The realities of death, long quests, unnamed women, giant scorpions, and bad sleeping habits. Greeking Out, the greatest stories in history. We're told in Greek mythology. Greeking Out, gods and heroes, amazing feats. Listen and you'll see it's Out. The Story of Gilgamesh. Today's myth is going to sound a little different. Now, this podcast is called Greeking Out, which means we usually focus on Greek mythology. But today, we're going to shake things up and introduce you to mythology from a different part of the world known as Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia is a region of Southwest Asia. Today, it is comprised of Iraq and Kuwait, along with parts of Iran, Syria, and Turkey. Some of the major Mesopotamian civilizations include the Sumerian, Assyrian, Akkadian, and Babylonian civilizations. Yeah, just like the Greeks, Mesopotamian civilizations use their mythology as a way to tell stories and explain natural phenomena. And although these stories come from a completely different part of the world than ancient Greece, some of the themes and ideas in this myth might seem familiar to you. As we go through the story, we're going to point out some of the characters and plot lines that you might remember from some of the Greek myths we've discussed. It'll be like a guided tour. Today's episode will be all about Gilgamesh and his quest for immortality. The Epic of Gilgamesh is one of the oldest pieces of literature in history. It was written long before the poet Homer began his writing. Yeah, the oldest copy is Sumerian, dating back to 2000 BCE. In this context, B-C-E is used to indicate before the Common Era. This episode was posted in the year 2021 C-E, meaning Common Era. That makes that copy of the Epic of Gilgamesh over 4,000 years old. Wow. Okay, so let's start with some background on our new buddy, Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh was the king of Uruk. Now, like many characters in Greek mythology, he's part human and part god. Gilgamesh actually claims he's two-thirds god and one-third human, but I don't know, we think that might be pushing it a little bit, because two-thirds god or not, at the end of the day, Gilgamesh was mortal just like the rest of humanity. Gilgamesh is very similar to Heracles, the famous Greek hero we discussed in Season 3. Both Gilgamesh and Heracles were demigods destined to spend their lives on Earth. Yes, and like Heracles, Gilgamesh wasn't exactly the nicest guy. He was a great warrior, but he certainly wasn't a great king. He was rude, selfish, and lived in this swanky palace with his fancy clothes, and he had only his own interests at heart. Not exactly a model leader. However, he didn't stay that way. He changed. And that all started when a man named Enkidu came on the scene. Enkidu was a wild man. Literally, he was a wild man. He was raised with the animals and the wild beasts and had little interest in civilization or culture and all that stuff. In fact, the gods had created him to be the exact opposite of Gilgamesh and made sure they crossed paths. 
And when that happened, well, let's just say there was a fight. A great wrestling match between the two warriors that literally shook the walls and rattled doorways with two men stuck in combat like bulls with locked horns. The longest horn spread on a bull goes to a Texas longhorn named Cowboy Tough Chex. His horns are more than eight and a half feet long, or two and a half meters. Okay, thanks for that. However, it was during and right after that fight when Gilgamesh and Enkidu realized that they actually kind of liked each other. Against all odds, a Mesopotamian-style bromance was born. After this initial encounter, Enkidu and Gilgamesh went on lots of adventures together including the famous battle against the demon Humbaba. Yes, Enkidu and Gilgamesh racked up the adventures in no time. They really were the best of friends. But sadly, our story today begins with Enkidu's untimely death. Enkidu made the mistake of insulting the gods. He was killed shortly thereafter. Again, just like in ancient Greece, offending the gods is never a good idea. Needless to say, Gilgamesh was heartbroken by the loss of his best friend. And, as is sometimes the case in these situations, he was also smacked in the face by the reality of death and the fact that it can come for anyone at any time. If Enkidu can die, so can I, he said. There are so many things that I haven't done yet. I cannot spend my life running from death. I must find a way to achieve immortality. And so, a new quest was born. Gilgamesh was determined to find a way to live forever. He couldn't let what happened to Enkidu happen to him. The problem was, Gilgamesh had no idea how to protect himself from death. He spent weeks roaming the countryside, thinking about his own mortality. It seemed useless. I mean, death came for every mortal being. It didn't make exceptions. And then suddenly, it hit him. Utnapishtim, Gilgamesh exclaimed to himself. Of course, he's the only one who's ever achieved eternal life. I must visit him and discover how Utnapishtim became immortal. Utnapishtim is a famous character in Mesopotamian mythology that closely resembles the Noah figure from the Bible. Like Noah, Utnapishtim was tasked by the gods to create a giant ship that would protect him from a giant flood. The rest of humanity, however, would be destroyed. Udnapishtim did as he was told and sailed off in his ship with his family and as many creatures as he could. And just as the gods proclaimed, there was a great storm. And when the weather receded, Udnapishtim and the living things on his ship were the only creatures that survived. Well, the gods immediately felt bad about this. They realized they acted kind of rashly, so to make up for it, they granted Utnapishtim and his wife eternal life. They had lived through a traumatic event and would now be rewarded with immortality for their efforts. The gods promised to never punish humanity in this way again. While humans individually would remain mortal, humanity as a species would live forever. Gilgamesh recalled this story with glee. (laughs) <laughs> you see, he thought, there is someone who is born mortal but now lives forever. It is possible. I must find Utnapishtim and have him teach me his ways. But this wasn't going to be easy. 
There were rumors that Utnapishtim lived beyond the human realm, past the waters of death. But first, Gilgamesh would have to pass over the treacherous mountain of Mashu. Mashu was considered to be a sacred mountain due to its large twin peaks. Legend has it that the sun sets on one side of the mountain at night and rises from the other side in the morning. Wow, that does sound intimidating. But Gilgamesh promised not to stop until he reached Utnapishtim. Nothing was going to get in his way. It didn't take very long before Gilgamesh's determination was to be tested. You see, at the base of Mount Mashu, there was a tunnel. A secret tunnel, you might say. Passing through the secret tunnel was the quickest way to move beyond the mountain. It was a direct route, a straight shot. If you didn't take the tunnel, which was dark, by the way, pitch black, really, you had to spend days scaling the mountain's rocky terrain. And Gilgamesh didn't have days. He needed to go through that tunnel. There was only one, well, okay, two problems. The entrance to the tunnel was guarded by two giant venomous scorpions. Now, everyone knows that scorpions are terrifying to begin with. They're creepy and crawly, and they got those scary pincher things, and they, uh, actually, wait a second. Oracle, I I just want to make sure we're on the same page here. How do you feel about scorpions? Scorpions are arthropods. They have a tail with a venom-injecting barb. They are nowhere near as lovely as snakes. I am not particularly fond of them. Okay, good. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't about to open another can of worms. Anyway, while scorpions are terrifying in their own right, these were no ordinary scorpions. They were huge, mammoth-sized creatures with tails sharper than knives. When Gilgamesh first saw them, he was petrified. Still, he approached them and then got down on one knee to show the scorpions respect. Excuse me, Mr. Scorpions. I have a dire need of the tunnel you are guarding. I would love your permission to pass through. None may enter here, the first scorpion replied in a deep voice. But you see, I have people to visit on the other side of that tunnel. Important people. None may enter here. But I'm a king. King Gilgamesh of Uruk, surely you must have heard of me. None may enter here. I can pay you. Money? Riches? Scorpion snackies? Name your price. None may enter here. The giant scorpions were getting angry. They started hissing, and Gilgamesh couldn't help but notice that their tails were moving back and forth. He backed away slowly. He knew when he was beaten, knowing he was getting himself killed by a giant scorpion before he achieved immortality. Gilgamesh muttered under his breath, It's going to take forever to find Utnapishtim now. Utnapishtim? Gilgamesh whipped around. The scorpions had lowered their tails and were staring at him expectantly. As much as a scorpion can stare. Yes, I'm I'm looking for Utnapishtim. I, I need to ask him questions about immortality. Utnapishtim saved us from the Great Flood. It is because of him that our kind lives. A friend of Utnapishtim's is a friend of ours. You may pass. Gilgamesh couldn't believe it. Uh, thank you. I will send your greetings, he replied, and ran into the tunnel before the scorpions could change their minds. Gilgamesh ran through the pitch-black tunnel. Before long, he could barely see and was stumbling around in the dark. The journey through the tunnel took hours, 
And when Gilgamesh finally emerged into the sunlight, he knelt and actually kissed the ground. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. He whispered, eternally grateful to be safe in the sunlight. Wow, a voice said. How did you get past the scorpions? Gilgamesh looked up and saw a woman standing at the edge of a garden, beside which was a warm and inviting tavern. He tried to reply, but he was too tired to speak. Please, come inside, the woman said. I can tell that you are weak and in need of food and drink. Inside the tavern, the woman gave Gilgamesh bread and wine. He immediately began to feel better. I am Sijuri, the woman said. This is my tavern. You have passed through the tunnel in the Mashi Mountains. Tell me, where are you going? Gilgamesh told her about his quest to find Utnapishtim. But why? she asked. Because I long to be immortal, he explained. There can be no better gift than to live forever. I disagree. There are worse things than dying. Besides, humans have long been searching for immortality. It is a quest that never ends well. This is true. Searching for immortality is a common theme throughout literature and the arts. And often in these depictions, those who seek immortality tend to find themselves yearning for death. But Gilgamesh could not be convinced. Death was so awful, so terrible, so permanent. There could be no fate worse than death. He wanted to live forever like the gods. He did not want to be merely remembered like Enkidu. He wanted to live. For the rest of the evening, Sejuri showed Gilgamesh impeccable hospitality. She gave him food and drink and a room to sleep in. She tried to convince him to give up this quest for immortality, but her arguments didn't seem to make an impression. Gilgamesh had already made up his mind. He was going. How about a commercial break? Anybody up for a commercial break, you think? Best-selling author of the Percy Jackson series, Rick Riordan presents City of the Plague God, an adventure based on ancient Mesopotamian mythology written by Sarwat Chatta. Join 13-year-old Sikander Aziz and the hero Gilgamesh as they try to stop Nergal, the ancient god of plagues, from wiping out the population of Manhattan in this action-packed adventure. Check out City of the Plague God at bit.ly forward slash go dash pg. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash G-O dash PG. The next morning, Gilgamesh rose before the sun. The last leg of his journey was at hand. He would have to find some way across the sea, and then, if the rumors were correct, he'd have to find someone willing to ferry him across the waters of death, where Utnapishtim was said to reside. The waters of death is very similar to the rivers that run through the underworld in Greek mythology. When Gilgamesh went outside, he found Sejuri in the garden. I suppose I cannot convince you to abandon this foolish quest of yours. I suppose not, Gilgamesh replied. Then I must do what I can to help you succeed. Go into town and find Ushanabi. He is the best ferryman we have. He will get you where you need to go. Gilgamesh thanked her profusely. Where would I be without your profound kindness, he asked. It didn't take long before Gilgamesh found Urshanabi sitting on a dock overlooking the water. Urshanabi? He asked. Sejuri said, she said you were the best ferryman she had ever seen. She said you were the only one skilled enough to help me on my journey. She said that, did she? Urshanabi huffed. 
And where exactly do you wish to go? Across the sea. Any sailor here is fit enough to get you across the sea. Yes, but then I need to pass through the waters of death. The waters of death? What do you want with Unabishti? Do you know him? Know him? He's my employer. I'm the only one able to ferry people across the waters of death. I stand guard. Orshinabi plays a similar role to Charon in Greek mythology. Both are ferrymen who guard the river Styx and waters of death. Wonderful! Let's sail today! Not so fast. I don't know anything about you. What do you want with Udnapishti? Gilgamesh explained his quest for immortality. I just want to talk to him and ask for advice. Urshanabi huffed. <laughs> I don't think he's going to give you any, but hey, if you feel up to making the journey, I suppose there's no harm in asking him for a little guidance. The two set sail the next morning. As Urshanabi predicted, the journey across the sea was no issue. Sailing through the waters of death, however, was another story. Whatever you do, Urshanabi explained, don't touch the water. Use these poles to help push the boat, but don't look down at the souls who flow through the river, and don't let them tell you anything. They were already paddling through the waters of death before Gilgamesh properly had time to think about what Urshanabi had said to him. Don't let them tell you anything? What was that supposed to mean? Well, then, of course, he looked down, and, of course, he was mesmerized by the souls drifting calmly through the water. He couldn't stop thinking to himself what a waste of life it was. All that potential lay untapped, wasted, drowning here in the waters. And they were trying to whisper something to him. He drew closer. Maybe they had advice. What better way to avoid death than to talk to those who had experienced it? He was so close, his nose was almost to the water and he could hear them, but then... The boat reached the shore with a bump and Gilgamesh straightened up, shaking his head and remembering he wasn't supposed to be listening to the dead. Urshanabi, called a figure on the shore who had been waiting for them. Who do you bring me? It was Udnapishtim. Gilgamesh had made it at last. Just some fellow obsessed with learning about immortality, Orshanabi replied. Gilgamesh introduced himself in a shaky voice. Oh, oh, it is I, Gilgamesh. I have searched for you high and low. I, I am here to ask you to teach me about immortality. I, too, wish to achieve it. Utnapishtim eyed Gilgamesh intently. A flicker of dislike flashed across his face. Hmm. There are always fools searching for endless life. Tell me, have you come to appreciate yours? Why do you seek something you just spent the last few weeks wasting? Gilgamesh told Udnapishtim about Enkidu's death, about his realization that death is an enemy that must be defeated. You are fighting a battle that has already been won, Utnapishtim replied. He went on to explain the story of the Great Flood to Gilgamesh. He described how awful it was to be trapped at sea. I saw that the end was near, but not just my end, everyone's end. Humanity was going to die out, and it was terrifying. When the flood was over, 
I pleaded with the gods to let humanity continue. That right there was the fight against death, and I won. They vowed never to destroy us again. But what about me? I will still die, Gilgamesh cried. Yes, you will die, Utnapishtim conceded. Humankind is mortal, but humanity will live on forever. You have to understand, you are just a link in the chain. Your link will not continue after it has done its part, but the chain will go on for eternity. Gilgamesh tried to understand, but he just couldn't make peace with this solution. But I want to live forever. I want immortality. I deserve immortality, he cried. At this point, Udnapishtim was losing patience. He had no tolerance for fools, and it was clear to him that this was exactly what Gilgamesh was. He decided to put him in his place. You think you can handle immortality? He asked. Prove it. If you are ready to stay alive for eternity, you should have no problem staying awake for a week. Gilgamesh stared at Udnapishtim, confused. Do not fall asleep, he explained. Stay awake for seven days. If you can do this successfully, immortality can be yours. You have a deal. I will stay awake. There is nothing I wouldn't do for immortality, Gilgamesh replied. Sleep is as important to your well-being as food and water. Most children need about 8 to 10 hours a day, and most adults need 7 to 9 hours to function efficiently. Utnapishtim wished Gilgamesh well and retreated to his rooms. It quickly became clear that he was going to fail. He was exhausted after his long journey. There was no way he could possibly stay awake for an entire week. That very night, he felt his eyelids begin to close. He woke the next morning with Utnapishtim and his wife standing over him. Sorry, friend, but I don't think you're quite ready for immortality, said Utnapishtim. Gilgamesh was devastated. He had traveled all this way to achieve immortality. He had convinced Utnapishtim to give him a chance to prove himself, and he had failed miserably. I am honorable enough to admit defeat. I thank you for your time. I will leave this place as mortal as I was when I first entered. Utnapishtim's wife turned towards her husband. She was starting to feel sorry for Gilgamesh. After all, he did come all this way. Utnapishtim's wife plays a critical role in this story, but she is not named in the literature. Utnapishtim, she said, maybe you could tell him about your new discovery. You know, the plant you've been working on. Utnapishtim stared at his wife for a long moment before answering. It is a plant that restores youth to whoever eats it. Gilgamesh's ears perked up. It's not full immortality, Utnapishtim explained, but it will buy you some more time. Gilgamesh stared at Utnapishtim. Will he give him this plant? It feels rude to ask, but Utnapishtim doesn't seem to be offering... Maybe you could give Gilgamesh some, Udnapishtim's wife says to her husband. It's the least we could do. Begrudgingly, Udnapishtim went to get Gilgamesh a cutting of the plant. Use it well, he said. Oh, I intend to. 
I'm going to share it with the elders of Uruk. Thank you so much for giving me a piece, Utnapishtim. Your generosity knows no bounds. Gilgamesh boarded Urshanabi's boat before Utnapishtim could change his mind. He couldn't wait to show the plant to the elders. He couldn't wait to have the glory of his youth restored. You should mind what Utnapishtim said. Humanity is more important than one mere mortal, said Urshanabi. Yes, yes, I completely agree. And I won't be immortal now, but maybe I will have a few more extra years. To Gilgamesh, this seemed like a fair compromise. After crossing the waters of death, Gilgamesh and Urshanabi camped out on the shore to spend the night. However, they weren't the only two creatures on the shore that night. Unbeknownst to them, in the darkness, a snake slithered over to where the two men were sleeping. Snakes are featured often in both Greek and Mesopotamian mythology for many reasons, but mostly because they are awesome. Yeah, well, okay, maybe in your opinion anyway. The snake noticed the magic plant right away. He was captivated by the smell and decided to sample one of the leaves. Immediately, the snake felt his body grow stronger. He was rejuvenated, refreshed, and returned to the glory days of his snake youth. Now, this is a good part. When Gilgamesh woke the next morning, the plant was gone and the snake was nowhere in sight. Gilgamesh was devastated. He searched high and low for the missing plant, but to no avail. All he saw was a young snake who had shed his skin, slithering away in the distance. I can't believe this. I came all this way, and now I'll return empty-handed? Cheer up, Gilgamesh, said Urshanabi. You still have your health, your wisdom, your bravery... You have a chance to become a great king. You have a chance to really make your life matter. You need to embrace it. Gilgamesh realized that the boatman was right. Life wasn't supposed to last forever. He could see that now. Death wasn't the enemy. It was a rite of passage. The thing that truly mattered was humanity as a whole. He decided to dedicate his life to making sure humanity continued to thrive and be better. And Gilgamesh made good on his word. He went on to become a great, compassionate king who did wonderful things for his people. He never forgot the lesson that Utnapishtim taught him. He was just a link in the chain of humanity. But he would do his best to make his part count. Thank you for listening to today's special episode of Greeking Out, featuring a retelling of a Mesopotamian myth. Let us know if you liked it in the reviews. We'll be back next week with our regularly scheduled program. National Geographic Kids Greeking Out is written by Kenny Curtis and Jillian Hughes and hosted by Kenny Curtis with Tori Kerr as the Oracle of Wi-Fi, audio production and sound design by Scotty Beam, and our theme song was composed by Perry Grip. Sarwat Chatta is the author of City of the Plague God and is our subject matter expert for this episode. And Emily Everhart is our producer.